This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. know who told us this story but they were uh speaking with the quality manager at the glass plant and they're like well we've had a lot of issues with complaints about split finishes and they're like well you should be sorting those all out in your pasteurizer and they're like we don't have a pasteurizer which was kind of a aha moment that's ben bailey he's the quality manager at trogues brewing company this week on the show we're going to hear from ben and two others who've got an extremely important message for all craft brewers who put their beer into bottles we're here today to talk about what i think was one of the most important posters presented during the 2018 brewing summit like a lot of good things that come out of our industry this was a collaborative effort that involved several breweries This crew is here to give you the tools you need to defend your brewery from what is arguably the greatest threat to your brand. Ben, what is the threat and are we being dramatic or is this really a big deal? Uh, It is a big deal. Um, I mean, we know that beer is an inherently safe product as far as uh, pathogens are concerned. So one of the few ways that you can actually uh, harm a consumer is by having them ingest glass shards, uh, which sounds as bad as it is. We've also got my pal Sean Terrio on the line. He's the quality assurance manager over at Deschutes in Bend, Oregon. Sean, I know you've done a lot of work with the Master Brewers Food Safety Committee, including some instruction during the HACCP course. Please correct me if I've got it wrong, but, but from what I can tell, glass shards in a bottle is one of the few things that actually ends up becoming a critical control point for those breweries who've implemented a HACCP plan. That is correct. I know um, just from the experience that we've had here at Deschutes Brewery, um, the fragment flush program that we have is a critical control point to make sure that that system is working as we um, have designed it to and and we're getting the reject pattern, which I'm sure Ben will talk about here in a second, to make sure that that's working fine because it um, it was an issue for us that was identified in the hazard analysis. Okay, so what actually causes a bottle to burst in a filler, and just how often does that happen at your brewery? Here at Trogues, we we have a uh, limit set with our glass supplier as far as how often that can actually occur. If it exceeds that, then we'll stop running the glass. 
but an occasional burst bottle is uh somewhat expected so you may get you know four a day five a day uh when we're running well um so that's that's pretty normal okay and talk about the cost there's a lot of stresses that the bottle undergoes when it comes into the filler um there's the pressure of the bottle being pressed up against the seal the if you have a double pre-evac filler then it's being put under both pressure and vacuum uh which can break a bottle that has any weak points um the filling of the beer in there gives it some thermal shock uh all of those things are stresses that if there's a weak point in the bottle it can blow up okay tim sean how about you guys how often do you guys encounter burst bottles on a on a daily basis i'd say it depends on the day you might recognize that voice as tim lozen from episode 85 the lactic acid bacteria case study at bells I would say we average probably about four to six a week. So not terribly common, but we also have an EBI, so an empty bottle inspection machine that kicks out a lot of glass with particularly sidewall defects, which are relatively easy to find for machines like that. And also I think are the most likely to cause burst bottles in a filler like that. Yeah, I think we're our numbers are... are um Close to what Tim just mentioned, um, we recently switched uh, production plants, and the, our plant that we were pulling from it was a heavy user of recycled glass. So most of our glass issues were things called stones, which are either pieces of the internal workings of the tank or actual um, glass that's you know like Pyrex glass, glass that's not made to be recyclable, or um, metal fragments getting into the bottle stream and create what they call a stone, which is a weak spot in the glass. So we would get quite a few of those. Our EBI was pretty good at getting most of them out, but there's a few areas of the bottle that are very hard even for an EBI to detect. So once those glass um, defects come through, they just tend to pop on your filler, or more more appropriately, they tend to explode on the filler. We could probably spend a, a whole podcast just on glass bottle defects and, and all that. But, um, you know, I thought it might be interested. Does anybody want to describe a bird swing? Because I think that's um, one of the more interesting ones that can uh, clearly is a, is a high risk for, for glass shards in the bottle. Well, it's a piece of glass that runs from one sidewall of the bottle to the other, uh, kind of like the Tweety Bird swing uh, in a bird cage. Um, the risk is because it's a filament of glass from one side of the bottle to the other. If the fill tube itself, if you have a long tube filler, doesn't actually break it physically, then the filling of the beer itself can break that glass too because it's so thin. Then you have already a broken glass inside the bottle. There's no way to get around it. It's it's a huge deal. You You stop everything if you see one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how about uh, anybody want to talk about any uh, some of the weirdest glass issues you've encountered in a, in a brewery? Have you? I'm sure you guys have seen some weird stuff. Yeah, I think you'll see just about everything coming in if you look at it long enough. Um, we'll see things like super thin sidewalls are huge issues. Stones, like we were talking about before. Um, luckily for us, with the EBI, nothing terribly crazy gets to the filler that that I know of, at least. Yeah, we have a whole cabinet full of what we call misfit bottles um, that have either parts of the bottle manufacturing plant that have fallen in there, whether it's melted temperature probes that have, uh, so you've got a piece of metal that looks like a BB in it, or uh, 
ceramic from the furnace uh, that is broken off into a stone. Um, just all sorts of stuff. Our EBI one time took a, a an awesome portrait of a fly inside of a bottle. So that was pretty interesting to see. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, you know, some of the new high-tech bottle fillers come with burst bottle detection. Talk about how that works. On the majority of them, it's just a simple proximity switch on the inlet and the outlet of the filler. So the as the bottle comes in, it pushes the centering bell up, and the proximity switch sees that the centering bell is in the raised position, so it knows that there's a bottle in that filler position. And then on the opposite side of the filler, so on the uh, exit of the filler, there's another centering bell proximity switch to see if it's still in the raised position. If the bottle bursts somewhere in between, then the centering bell falls, and the second proximity switch will tell you that the bottle's no longer there. Um, but we also run into an issue where our first uh, proximity switch was damaged, and so it didn't detect anything, and so it didn't know when bottles had burst. So that stuff has to be checked out uh, on a regular basis to confirm that it's actually functioning. What kind of regular basis? Are you guys doing that like at startup every time, or is that sort of like a you know weekly or monthly thing, or what? Well, now we have a... Um, a burst bottle log sheet to uh, record every instance. And so if the burst bottle uh, rinse program doesn't engage after a burst bottle occurs, I mean, they're loud. You know when it happens. Uh, if the filler doesn't go into that rinse uh, phase and do all the low fills, then, then you know it they'll didn't stop work. the... Yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay. So we don't have to do it as an extra thing. It's just a matter of paying attention. Got it. Got it. Okay, great. And we'll talk about that log process here in a bit. A lot of fillers with burst bottle detection have that automatic rinsing that you just talked about. Uh, how reliable is that rinse process? I think the rinse process is pretty reliable. It's just a matter of each filler is unique and there may be a weak point uh, that the rinser can't hit. So, um, especially if you're looking at ledges or if there's a uh, soft gasket material where the glass gets embedded, there's no rinser that can pull it out of that. You're going to have to change the gasket out. So um, I guess they're reliable. It's just sometimes there's situations where they're ineffective. Yeah. It's not like you're using a garden hose to, to spray off those gaskets. Right. I can tell you that we, we don't have a rinser for our program. And so, um, we also don't know always what valve the broken bottle came from. So I could tell you, aside from a safety piece, it's also a huge quality piece because we will do valve samples for our TPO tests. And often we'll find some very high numbers on a certain valve. We'll retest it a couple of times. Those numbers stay high. And then when we go in to replace the centering bell, we might find a shard of glass in there. So, you know, we're lucky that it didn't go into another bottle and we get it out of there as quickly as possible. Sean, you got any comments on, do you guys remove the, um, the gasket from the centering bell after, after a, a burst? Yeah, you know, I think um, what we were talking about earlier before this podcast with um, Ben and Tim was how sometimes, you know, ignorance is bliss. So we functioned for years without stopping the filler and looking at the gaskets. And during rebuilds, we would see all these nicks in the gasket. And we're like, oh, that's weird, you know wonder what that's about and then the one day we've actually found 
a piece of glass lodged in there. And then once you see something like that, you know, with with HACCP, once you know um, that there's a potential for something to reasonably get lodged in there, you really need to address it. So after that point, we decided that we could tell which valve was bursting. So we actually stopped the filler every time on that valve and at least uh, visually inspect it. And we have valves, gaskets ready to go that are already pre-sanitized, and we just swap them out if there's any 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 um, doubt about whether or not glass has embedded itself in there. Talk about the importance of rejecting bottles immediately adjacent to the bottle that burst. Some brewers will say, "Well, why would I do that? Those bottles were sealed against the filler when when the bottle when the other bottle exploded, so there's no glass in them." Yeah, that was a surprise to us, to be honest. Um, we, uh, when we started this work group, uh, Rob Fraser, who worked at Sierra Nevada at the time, uh, had a very robust uh, burst bottle program at their brewery. And uh, they had found that that's a possibility. So when we started doing our validation, we saw that that was a fact, that we definitely saw glass in those adjacent bottles. Um, and when we talked to our filler manufacturer, like they uh, disagreed that it was possible, even though we'd found the glass in there on the filter paper. So we knew it was in there. And again, the reason that's possible because is because that those bottles, even though they were sealed at the time of the burst, uh, as they're exiting the filler, then then glass that's hung up on those gaskets or what or, or anywhere really could fall down into the bottle. Right? Is that where it's coming from? Yeah, that's our assumption. I mean, it has to be falling into the bottle because the the common conception up till now was that it can't get in there because it's sealed. Well, that's certainly true. But once it drops off that centering bell, it's no longer sealed. And if there was glass on top of the centering bell or maybe up on top of the valve, it could be anywhere. But it's then able to fall into the bottle once it comes off of the, the seal before it goes into the crowner. Your poster has some crafty solutions to rejecting these already full bottles on automated lines. Talk about those. What we ended up doing was uh, we have a good programmer here at Trogues who was able to get in there and change the program to skip the sniffed step, which then causes the bottle to geyser as soon as it comes out of the filler, which creates a low fill. Um, another option, if you have the ability, is to stop the crowner from... Uh, crowning those bottles because we don't have a filler that talks to the uh, rejection system so we have to create a rejectable bottle if it's filled and crowned properly then the uh the inspector does not know why it would need to be rejected they would have to create a a bad bottle for it to reject um but i'll also say that's for a higher speed line i mean ours isn't extremely high speed but uh if you've got a slower line, you may be able to just manually jump in there. You see where the bottle's missing out of the outfeed because there's a space there where there's nothing coming out. And uh, if you grab the ones on each side by hand, that would work too. Ours is a little too fast to be able to pull that off, but for uh, smaller lines, that's certainly an option. What about smaller machines that don't ha have burst bottle detection? What do they do? Well, we'll get into the validation points a little bit later, but the uh, main thing is to just look at what you've got. So see if you're getting glass in those bottles. And then, I mean, you can do all this manually. Uh, if you've got a manual filler and you, you'll notice a burst bottle, then you'd stop, 
clean up the filler and then confirm that the way you've cleaned it is sufficient to ensure that there's no glass getting into any of the other bottles. Okay. So it can be a super manual garden hose operation. It just needs to be done and thought about. Coming up. We found huge holes in our procedure, which we would not have identified had we not tried to validate the process by collecting all the bottles and filtering them. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. This Master Brewers Podcast is proudly sponsored by Barna Mechanical, a full-service design-build firm specializing in turnkey process and utility systems for the brewing industry. We partner with some of the best craft brewers in the U.S. to ensure the great beer they brew is what their customers get in every glass, bottle, can, or keg. You know beer. We know breweries. Additional support provided by... ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery and parts outfitter. From our Raleigh headquarters to our Denver office, we proudly offer brew houses and fermenters from three barrels and up, yeast brinks, boilers, kegs, chillers, tri-clamp, and other stainless parts, all with the quickest delivery and lead times in the industry. Learn more at abs-commercial.com or call 877-BREW-ABS. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. There's only a few things left on the Master Brewers calendar for 2018. November wraps up with a webinar on strategies and tactics for being inclusive and building diversity in craft beer. The annual District St. Louis Holiday Party is December 7th. Also on December 7th, you can catch the webinar on beverage can production. And it's not too early to start making plans for the 2019 Master Brewers Conference. If you can only make it to one conference in 2019, this should be it. We're really mixing things up this time and heading to the Calgary Convention Center to see how Alberta celebrates Halloween. I can't wait to see what decorations Tressa comes up with. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. back to the show. I guess I wasn't planning on doing this, but I think maybe does it make sense for everybody to describe their their mitigation procedure rather than us uh, trying to just give an example one? You want to do that? Sure. All right. Go ahead. Um, so here at Bells, what we do is uh, our filler does have first bottle detection, and then we have a hoist low fill detection system that sits right outside the filler. And so what will happen is we will reject 13 bottles. So on the first rotation, we'll reject two on each side. On the second rotation, we'll do the burst bottle plus another two on each side. And then on the third rotation, we'll do the burst on one on each side. After that, uh, all those bottles will get half filled, so they get rejected out by the hoift. We collect those, and then we will dump the bottles out through a little stainless sieve. We'll rinse the bottles out pretty well, dump them back through there, and then we'll record uh, where the glass came from. And if we can organize ourselves well enough, like exactly what bottle it came from, so we know where 
in proximity to the burst bottle that shard of glass was found. I would say that we also find glass maybe not even half the time. And when we do find it, it usually is like we were just talking about in a bottle adjacent to where the burst bottle was. So kind of what we expect. So we collect all the bottles, we'll rinse and filter them out, and then we'll record the time of day that it happened, what we were running that day. So that way, if we do happen to get a complaint from a consumer, we can go back and check our records to see if we did have any burst bottles at that time or if it might have come from a different source. Ben, what do you guys do? Well, the first thing that has to happen is that the uh, filler has to know that there's a burst bottle. Um, once that's happened in our filler, uh, we have that underfill the adjacent bottles and empty the filler so the infeed bottle stop is engaged and it will low fill the bottles uh four uh filler valves on each side of the valve where the burst occurred and once the glass is out of the filler so it'll regularly fill the bottles like on the opposite side where there's no chance of glass getting in it um then we get in there and pull out the uh, the centering belt gasket. We'll inspect it, but just for to keep moving as fast as possible. Instead of having them try to determine whether it's clean or not, it's just faster for us to pull it out, put in a sanitized gasket that we have ready, and then keep moving. And then they can inspect that gasket after they get back up and running and see if there's any glass that needs to be removed. Um, then once the glass filler, uh, the after the gasket's been removed, we uh, have the rinsers come on, which uh, rinse the, the filler valves back off. And then after that, uh, if there weren't enough bottles to finish the uh, five revolutions after the burst bottle, then it will continue to low fill those bottles uh, to complete that cycle. Sean, you're up. Here at Deschutes, we do something similar um, to where when we have a burst bottle, the first thing that happens is the incoming bottles coming into the filler get stopped. Some sprayers come on, um, so we're getting a rinse. And what we try to have is at least two revolutions of the filler rinsing without any bottles present. So immediately we go into our pattern while there are bottles present, which is four rotations of plus or minus two around the burst bottle. And then we do the burst bottle location. After we go through those the, those four revolutions, we do the burst bottle location where we reject the burst bottle um, twice. The, the valve where the burst occurred, we'll reject that one twice. Um, similar to Ben, you know, somewhere in the middle of that pattern, we run out of glass and then we do the rinse and we check the gasket. And then once glass comes back in, we resume the pattern. We also do um, a validation run uh, at least at least um, 25 times a year where we expand that pattern. Um, we basically add add um, add another bottle on either side to our normal reject pattern. And what we're trying to do is make sure we don't find glass on the edges of our pattern. Because if we find glass on the edges of our pattern, then the, the question comes into our head, well, well, maybe we should be doing plus or minus four to make sure that we never get glass on the edge of that reject pattern. We do that 25 times a year where we filter every bottle. I've definitely worked in some breweries that had some sort of policy for discarding 
some number of bottles after a burst, but then there was no validation step. So let's talk about how you do validate the plan to ensure the intended results. Well, I will start by saying like the validation step is probably one of the most critical points of this whole process because we definitely found huge holes in our procedure, which we would not have identified had we not tried to validate the process by collecting all the bottles and filtering them, which is basically all you do for validation. Um, you take all the bottles you can from uh, burst bottle occurrence uh, that are directly adjacent to it and on subsequent revolutions and filter all of those bottles through uh, filter paper. We use the same 0.45 micron membranes that we do for microbiological testing and filter it through those. If you're running turbid beers, you probably need to pick something uh, with a larger pore size. But if it's filtered beer, we can pull that off. Um, then we look at the filter paper under a microscope uh, to see if we find any glass. And usually we don't really even need to look at it that close. You can see the shards easier than that, but we just want to make sure there's no tiny micro shards somewhere. Um, and then at some frequencies, like say twice a year, you at least you'd want to make sure that everything's working right and that things haven't changed somehow in the filler uh, to where your pattern needs to be expanded or uh, that the procedure you're following is still sufficient. Yeah. And I, I, I think that is the, one of the most critical things that if a brewery is going to come up with a, an effective uh, burst bottle program, that's one of the most important pieces because we could sit here and, and, you know, listeners could take what we're saying and copy it for their brewery, but everybody's line's different. Everybody's line's got its own areas that could cause glass to travel into other bottles. So you really need to do the homework yourself. Sean, you mentioned that you guys do the expanded validation 25 times a year, but how often are you doing just the normal validation? Uh, we set a goal for um, 100 audits per year, which is, means the first pattern. Uh, 25 of those are the expanded one, and 75 are our normal pattern. So we feel with verifying that the normal pattern's happening and validating that the 25 with the expanded pattern aren't finding any glass, we feel good about it. And I will say that we've changed our pattern several times over the years because of um, things we found during those audits where we thought that, okay, wow, we really need to go another revolution here, you know, four is not good enough. So we went to five. Um, and we certainly did that when we got a new bottle line in. So we had an old bottle line with a burst pattern here at Deschutes, switched over to the new one and realized, okay, well, this one, there's a little more, um, um, rinsing capability of our new filler around the outside of it. So we were actually able to cut that back on the number of bottles that we discarded, but we validated that with the uh, expanded burst pattern. Ben touched on this a little bit, you know, having a, a log where you record um, the date and time of the burst and all that. But um, let's talk about maybe highlight the importance of that because um, that's a, a very basic step that I really, frankly, there's no excuse to not do, right? Yeah, I think we're all keeping logs of things. In the poster itself, uh, there's a really nice example of a form laid out. So it puts out all the bottles where the burst bottle 
is and then all the other bottles in proximity to that now you can literally just check off what bottle you find any debris in i think that's something super simple that people could use you just record date time the batch id pretty easy process great yeah we we keep a log uh for also in addition to that validation log that's in the poster we just have one that's out on the floor where they write down the time and the valve number that a burst occurred um and we actually report some of that data i think i said earlier but uh back to our uh, glass manufacturer so if there's a spike in occurrences then they can look at their equipment as well and tighten up their procedures so we don't get as much of the glass that's going to cause problems in the first place and i'm sure that goes a long way too because you know when you're when you're working directly with the supplier it's it's one thing to pick up the phone and say hey we're getting a bunch of bursts all of a sudden um and it's another thing to provide them with some data and say here's how many we used to get and here's how many we have now that's correct we send them a chart every month with uh that all graphed out so that they're aware of where they're trending sean sound like you had something you want to add no i was just gonna emphasize what what both of you gentlemen have just said that aside from the obvious food safety part of this program just having that reject rate and a reject rate even even more powerful is if you have that tied to a lot of glass and communicate that back to your supplier Um, it adds a lot of um, support to what you're trying to tell them I was going to say, Ben mentioned before the misfit glass collection. I think on top of that, saving these glass samples really helps the suppliers as well. And, you know, it lets people know they're good trading pieces to put out on the floor just to let people know what can and will happen from time to time with glass quality. All right. So uh, we didn't really talk about it yet. I, I wanted to ask, you know, uh, find out if, uh, how all this got started. What facilitated you all coming together on this on this important issue? So back in 2013, um, there was an offshoot of the ASBC Quality Subcommittee. Um, The Quality Subcommittee with the ASBC kept talking about glass issues. And, and, you know, the the American Society of Brewing Chemists, glass really doesn't fall underneath their... um, under their main focus. So um, a couple breweries got together and said, hey, maybe there's some some need for this out in the field. Um, So a lot of craft brewers came together. We started talking about glass quality. Um, So we're the craft brewers glass quality group. Um, Started with, you know, breweries such as Sierra Nevada, Trogues, Bells, Deschutes, um, Real Ale down in Texas. We're up to 75 members now, and these are one of the things that we talk about. And, and we identified a couple top projects to work on as a team, and the Burst Bottle Program was clearly right toward the top. As as you mentioned earlier, John, it's, for a lot of people's HACCP plans, it will be the critical control point for an entire brewery. Uh, we, we've centered around craft brewers because um, back when we started this in 2013, so we're almost five years old to the date, um, you know, craft brewers really didn't have a lot of um, folks that had the knowledge, skills, and abilities to deal with some of these intense glass critical issues. So, I mean, critical issues find their way into craft breweries just like bigger breweries. The one thing that we have, most craft breweries have as a challenge is that we're not pasteurizing our beer. So a lot of the bottles that break are, are, are bottles that we're, we're filling to send out to customers. The pasteurizer definitely has a way to expose weak glass so uh the need was there folks came together um definitely a plug for anybody who's interested in bringing their glass program to the next level you know email me or email anybody on this phone call 
and um, you can partake in it as well. We've 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 designed a uh, stock AQL, uh, acceptable quality limits document that folks can use. We have a uh, best practice document <clears throat> for breweries, um, which details a lot of glass defects that you can find, and we also have the work that that Ben and Tim and uh, Kathy down in Real Ale in Texas have come together with this burst bottle program. So we have these documents. Um, this podcast is one of the ways that we're trying to reach out to other breweries and kind of let them know that this is something that you should be looking at. But by all means, um, if you have an interest, reach out to us and we can include you on that, on that list so you have access to those documents. We've also done... Uh, workshops. So if you attend MBAA meetings, we've done glass quality workshops, um, a couple poster presentations, and something that I'm really proud that the group did, if I can keep plugging the group, John. Go for it. We did a, uh, and Ben was instrumental in this, we actually um, hired a team from American Glass Research to train our members on supplier audits and defect training for uh, or defect identification um, with the American Glass Research, which is um, a third party that excels in, in auditing glass plants and training folks. So we did that at Mills River um, at the Sierra Nevada Brewery, um, and it was very much a collaboration of, of craft brewers that came together and over two and a half days were educated on how to identify defects and audit their glass supplier. I don't know who told us this story, but they were uh, speaking with the quality manager at the glass plant. Um, and they're like, well, we've had a lot of issues with complaints about split finishes. And they're like, well, you should be sorting those all out in your pasteurizer. And they're like, we don't have a pasteurizer, which was uh, kind of a aha moment of, okay, there needs to be a group that actually tells the glass plants about uh, the special needs that craft brewers have, which we, I mean, I didn't think we had special needs before that, but yeah, the lack of a tunnel pasteurizer is a big difference between uh, the breweries they've been dealing with for years and years. Do you want to explain what a split finish is to those who may not know? It's basically like a crack in the mouth of the bottle is a way to explain it. So the beer could leak out or it could just go flat and the bottle's intact. Um, so uh, oftentimes when we get those complaints, they just say it's a flat beer. And then if we get the bottle back, then, uh, then you can 99% of the yeah. time, yeah, you'll see it. You have to look really close and know what you're looking for, but it's just a tiny crack um, for lack of a better description. <laughs> That was Ben Bailey from Trogues, Tim Lozen from Bells, and Sean Terrio from Deschutes. Okay, so now that you know you need to implement a burst bottle program, even if your filler is small and manual, what do you do next? Well, check out the Craft Brewers Glass Quality Group's 2018 Brewing Summit poster, which includes an example validation procedure. For only $89, you can have access to this poster and all of the other amazing work that was presented at the 2018 Brewing Summit. Master Brewers members get a discount. Go to mbaa.com slash store, then click on conference proceedings, or look for a link in the show notes. Hey, remember the Belgian beer book that Sten Mertens and Jan Stencils talked about on episode 101, The Yeasts of Tomorrow? Well, great news. It's now available in the Master Brewers bookstore. 
Just go to mbaa.com slash store and type Belgian beer into the search bar to get your copy today. Thank you for calling to Shoots Brewery. This is Julia. Uh, yes, I'm hoping to speak with Sean Terrio. Yeah, hang on just a moment. Wow, I've never been on this side of it before. <laughs> <laughs> Hello? Hello, is this better? And Sean, we have, you know, Ben's coming to us from, um, from uh, Philly, right? That's the, the home of what? I don't know. It's cheesesteaks. Come on, Sean. Oh, oh, the best burger in the world. That's right. Village whiskey, right? <laughs> That's right. Ben, can you? Is there any way you can convince the Village Whiskey to become a sponsor of the Master Brewers podcast? Because uh, I think Sean and I would really like to make that happen. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. I don't have a whole lot of strings or uh, juice there. How how often would you say you go there? I haven't been there in a couple of years. It is quite good, though. You're right. What's wrong with you, man? If I lived well, there, yeah. I would go there. I go there a hundred percent of the time that I'm in Philadelphia. I'll tell you that. John, maybe we should take a picture of the tattoos that we got after we ate those burgers <laughs> and send it to them. Definitely. All right.